Welcome to Keeping Track, a Trackmania community podcast where I interview your favourite community members and ask them the same set of five questions. Continuing our TM2 highlight, the guest for this episode is Leo. We discussed his TM2 LAN experience as well as more modern day Trackmania concerns. Uh, so, question one, when did you get into Trackmania and what was it about the game that got you hooked? Okay, so... I'm going to give a somewhat convoluted answer because I got into it before I got hooked. And well, what do I mean by that? So I first encountered the game, I think, on a demo disc, like one of those um, CDs or DVDs you get with magazines or you got back in the day, um, showing my age, I suppose, where they'd contain, you know, like the first level or so of many games or like kind of a starter version of many games. And on one of those discs, I believe, was... Trackmania original, some sort of demo where you could play as the desert car. And at that point, it was just like, whoa, these graphics look amazing. I mean, you can see how long ago this was, right? Yeah. Saying that about Trackmania, uh, the old games. Um, so I think I like toyed around with it, but um, I, it's not a game I saw in the shops at the time. You know, I wasn't at the stage where I was buying games online. Like it was kind of pre me knowing that was a thing, or maybe it wasn't even possible back then. So yeah, I sort of. That was the first impact, I guess. The seed was planted. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of people, I guess, who played back in the day, I stumbled upon the game, Trackmania Nations ESWC, so the first stadium version, something probably like 2008, 2009. And I do distinctly remember playing that a decent amount, just kind of in the game rotation. You know, I was sort of like a kid who played a lot of games. So, yeah. you know, one day it might have been Soul Calibur, might have been a bit of Counter-Strike. And then, you know, Trackmania is a cool racing game. And uh, I guess like a lot of people uh, playing on the old full speed servers, because, you know, Trackmania gives you that sense of speed and like loops and like these crazy tracks that you don't really get in other racing games, which definitely appealed to me at the time. And I was playing classics like Dutch Delight and Rerun. If you know what those are, listeners, then you're old as well, I'm sorry to say. yeah, I'm not sure if anyone else has talked about those. Dutch Delight is probably one of the most famous full-speed tracks from back in the day. So I played a bit around 2008, 2009, but I still wasn't hooked. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. Um, but it had two swipes, and it didn't, it didn't hook you. I mean, I liked it a lot, but I think shortly after that, I would have started playing World of Warcraft, which, yeah. I mean, that hooks you. That really gets in deep. <laughs> um, <laughs> So a couple of years later, I woke up and was like, oh, what happened? Like, how old am I again? Because I just realized that I'd had enough of World of Warcraft and I was back in the real world. And uh, so I guess around 2011, 2012, that sort of time, um, I downloaded Trackmania Nations Forever. Um, and then shortly after, because I enjoyed playing that, saw Trackmania United Forever in the shops and bought that. So I had like all the environments. And that's basically the start of when I was hooked, I would say. I found online servers that I liked a lot. Um, there were communities, um, including some like old UK communities. There was a team called Fly, F-L-Y, where their emblem was literally like a fly, like a house fly, um, <laughs> which I don't know, it was like a server which was a good group. Um, and I enjoyed playing with them um, and trying to beat my records, trying to get the top rank on that server. And it kind of snowballed from there because as I played more, I'd play on different servers, meet new people, um, find out about new teams. I'd play a lot. I kind of outgrew Team Fly and moved on to uh, another team after that called Hot. And that's when 
uh, I kind of learned about like proper competitions in the game. And I guess it all snowballed from there. And then from, yeah, like 2011, 2012, probably until 2015 or so, I consider myself hooked. So do you still have the, uh, do you know if you still have the United Forever uh, box anywhere? Or has that sort of been lost in? It is somewhere in my parents' house. Yeah, I, I've, I found it a couple of years ago and kind of made a note it was there. And it's, yeah, it's kind of like a prized possession. I know there's like collectors who kind of hunt, um, you know, trackmania memorabilia and copies from different countries. So, uh, yeah, I have a price, let's say, but, you know, if anyone's listening and wants that, you know, DM me. Yeah, definitely not mint condition uh, if, if it was owned way back. I don't know. Maybe did you keep it in pristine condition? Doubtful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, United Forever uh, and then Nations Forever as well. Um, but looking at your Liquipedia, um, your first competition really that, that shows up is in TM2. So when did you make that jump? Uh, yeah, that would have been when the community made a jump, I guess. Um, so I was playing when, well, the first Trackmania 2 title that came out was Canyon. I don't remember playing the beta for that. Um, and... That was cool, but it wasn't as good a stadium for me. So myself and loads of others who were stadium players stayed on until Trackmania 2 Stadium came out. And as I remember it, the community was a little bit split. I guess it's kind of similar to how, like, uh, you know, there's been versions of Counter-Strike, like the original 1.6 and Counter-Strike Source, like certain people didn't move over, except the majority yeah. of people when in like that Counter-Strike instance, a lot of people stayed on 1.6. I'd say the mm. majority of people did move over because the competitions moved there and I moved with them. So that would have been, you know, 2013, I guess, is when Trapmania 2 Stadium came out. Yeah, I just kind of followed the herd. Yeah, and then you have um, some uh, tournaments uh, that you attended, uh, lands as well. Uh, what was it like attending uh, ESWC? Because I think you might be the second guest who was at that tournament. I think Sabre also was. Yep, yeah, I met Sabre there. Um, met a load of people that I played with online because it was quite a big LAN event. I think it was 32 players um, for ESWC 2014, which was the biggest uh for its time, I believe, or at least, you know, there weren't many LAN events with that many top level players, at least. I think you had some like BYOC LANs, um, like Games Assembly in France, where I think at the time there was 64 players able to sign up or maybe more, but that was kind of like first come first serve. It wasn't the top 32 players roughly, you know, showing up. Mm. So that was significant. And um, yeah, I made it through basically through an invite i was invited um they wanted i think ideally to have a system where you'd have regional qualifiers in each country and the people would like those would be land events or tournaments and people would then graduate onto the main event the the finals in uh, paris but uh, only a few countries i think france had uh, one of those qualifiers it was actually played before ESWC at the same event. Sorry, before the Trackmania main event at the at ESWC, they had ESWC France, Trackmania is like the qualifier. I think in Norway, they had the Gathering, which was a land qualifier for ESWC, but they didn't have one for the UK because back then, believe it or not, there was only like a handful of British players. And I don't recall a single Irish player playing back then. Um, oh, wow. At that top level. 
Yeah. Um, kind of funny how like there were some very good players, uh, like Pack was playing, um, or he sort of came to fruition like end of 2014, I guess. He wasn't at that event, uh, I don't think. Um, but you had Sabre, he was he was around. Uh, myself, I was pretty decent, I would say. Jono as well, um, Team Dignitas at the time. So like you had a few really top level players, but then like almost no one else really, mm. um, apart from people kind of playing in their own little communities and stuff online with people either not from the UK or people who just were not integrated with anyone else in the community, like completely siloed. So uh, that was quite odd. And yeah, no UK qualifier. Um, so yeah, I got invited. I was thrilled about that. I mean, I was like, oh my God, I'm making it, I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> because uh, ESWC has always been the, sort of the crown jewel, like the world championships in the Trackmania calendar. It's been that thing that everyone is the most prepared for. Like the people who do well at that or win it are are the best. Like pe there isn't really much, um, or that there weren't any real discussions. You know, if, if you won that tournament, you were just the best. So it meant a lot yeah. to people, including me. And uh yeah, I yeah, I attended that event. Um met loads of awesome people, um s some of which like still playing today. Uh, like Carl, for example, Carl Jr., he was there. Um I think French Carl, Carl Senior, if you will. He was there as well. I'm not sure if he made it through the main event from the French qualifier, can't remember. Um but yeah, I mean, it was it was great fun and I did okay on my first LAN outing. Uh, I think I got 16th or 20th something in that range um which i was fairly pleased with so yeah quite a formative experience i think why would you say that uh well i for me personally reaching kind of the pinnacle of track many esports as i would put it i mean i didn't win but i was kind of in that cohort of players yeah i was there i showed up it made me sort of proud of what I'd accomplished by playing and the hard work and stuff all sort of paid off and kind of makes you see that if you put in hard work and effort, you know, it, it can pay off. And I think that's a lesson that has stuck with me since that point. So that's what I mean by formative. Yeah. Is this, so then you obviously mentioned your wow experience before Trackmania. Did you compete at a high level in wow or was Trackmania your first sort of esport title? first esports title in wow i uh i reached max level and i did a bit of pvp but that was just like for fun and i was definitely bad i was like not good at the game um yeah track mania was was the one for me in terms of competitive play and has, has any game captured you since or is it is it all track mania nothing to the same extent i've played a lot of counter-strike um i don't know probably several thousand hours across the different versions. Um, I reached global elite on CSGO, claim to fame. Uh, but I was, you know, that's miles behind actually being like a, a top level player. And I never really bothered, uh, you know, trying, I guess. Like, it's one of those things where you think, if I put another 3000 hours in, <laughs> I can maybe get somewhere. But on the other hand, I'm at uni. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so where I can just study for my career. Uh. Yeah, exactly. So decisions were made. Uh, I think I made the right choice uh, and did not try and pursue a career as a professional Counter-Strike player. 
that's that's probably so. I mean, arguably one of the uh, the most successful esports titles, if not the most successful esports title. But even then, probably not worth the. Uh, one thing. Oh, one the thing. On that um, is, so when it comes to, I do wonder if I'd put all the hours into Counter Strike originally and not Trackmania, where would Ooh. I be? I think a lot of people who like a lot of games <laughs> ask themselves that same question. People have got 10k hours on Trackmania, like you know some of the gamers, like people like. Uh, scrappy for example who's like quite good at rocket league and league of mm. legends or um you know there's other players who are good at rocket league as well i wonder if they also think if i'd put those 10k hours into another game would i be uh making it as a full-time pro uh, interesting to think yeah i mean you mentioned scrappy cause if farmer credit he's like you mentioned really good at rocket league he's better than me at league and i don't think he's played it that much like i, I seem to recall him just talking about it on a stream once um, being like, oh yeah, I've got diamond in like a week or something. Um, and like I said, obviously very good and has 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 been at the peak of Trackmania. There are those people who just are great at games um, that, yeah, have never, although, you know, Scrappy has made it to the top, but you do wonder sometimes like how, you know, getting 90% of the way there is one thing, but that final 10%. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe in, a, in an alternate reality where uh, where you, you get the hankering for CS instead of Trackmania back in 2013. Yeah. Who knows? We've already seen you on the... Uh... The 90% is the gamer gene, and then it's uh, hard work that you need <laughs> and the hours to put in. Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing but hours from then on in. Um, so uh, question two, and uh, as, as you're a player who has a history, uh, an over 10-year history in this game now, uh, by the way, looking at your Wikipedia, um, what input device do you use and why? And uh, that also will uh, you know change over time, I imagine. Yeah, well, actually, it's a much shorter answer than for the first question. I played with keyboard to begin with um, because it was PC and you have a keyboard when you have a PC typically. It's and attached I did. to it. You yeah, know, it's right it there. just plugs right into the back. Um, so I used that for a while. Uh, I did play on a laptop at one point. I can't remember when this was, but it had a decent enough keyboard on it. Um, so, yeah, I think for the first year or two, I probably used keyboard. And then at one point, people who I was playing with, basically, a lot of them were pad players and a lot of them had transitioned from keyboard and just said, it's way more comfortable and I can be more precise on a pad than I am on a keyboard, so you should give it a go. And I just basically gave it a go and yeah, managed to transition relatively quickly and that was it really, never considered anything else. I think that's, um, that's really interesting you mentioned that transition coming from players. Uh, advice because I think this is like obviously at the, at the moment where we're at we've got snow car and the wood texture and the campaign and stuff and there's a lot of talk about whether or not keyboard players can be competitive on those surfaces and with those uh, with those cars and particularly looking what might be coming down the uh, down the pipe with uh, additions of new new cars as well to TM 2020 and we've almost got with Granadi just setting outrageous times in the campaign we've almost got the next evolution of that where it does feel like steering wheel allows players to be a little bit more precise again um do you see any parallels from your perspective in in where we're at now compared to where you were at the time uh sort of and it revolves around different cars back when i was playing a lot of stadium and the people i was playing with in the stadium uh you know use controller um keyboard was still a viable option but it was seen as more of a, a comfort thing like you might be able to be slightly faster and it's just way more comfortable to play. But keyboard was definitely a viable option back then because it was stadium, but not how you know it today because most of the tracks people played were fully on a road surface or a platform surface. 
Dirt was kind of its own thing with its own community. Um, grass, you only had grass on the stadium floor back then. There were no grass blocks you could place anywhere. So keyboard was definitely still viable. But when you looked at the Trackmania United environments, um, which you know, obviously you didn't have in Trackmania 2 land, but back when I first started, if you wanted to go into the Trackmania United servers and you had a keyboard, you're going to have a really bad time because... The snow car of today is like the snow car of old in that it's very hard to do if you can't do these like uh, small percent changes in your steering angle, um, which is what makes Granati so successful, I guess, because he's very good at those precise changes. And there were no action keys, of course, back then. You either had all or nothing. So keyboard <laughs> snow with, uh, with this binary steering option, not too great. Um, so yeah, I think the types of discussions people had back then, like United, the cars were separate, right? Uh, separate yeah. environments, separate cars. Like there was no time you could have a track where you'd have a section with one car and a section with another. It would just be all one car throughout. And most people hadn't didn't have much exposure to say snow car or rally car or island car because they're in the paid version of the game. Um, and it was vastly uh, less popular than stadium environment because people could play that for free and it became the, the competitive environment and so on. So if you ever ventured into United Land, if you were one of the sort of people who wanted to try it out, give it a go, brave it, if you will, you just knew that you'd have to use a pad to be competitive, which I would say is actually one of the things that makes stadium the better environment is that it can be open to different input devices. Like, you know, we see keyboard, wheel, gamepad, you know, different gamepads, uh, joystick you've had in the past, mouse even, all sorts. And they all sort of work because you don't need crazy, crazy precision steering and uh, stadium like you do with snow. And mm. okay, you've got action keys now that fill a couple of gaps with some of the new surfaces, but it's still manageable. And then of course, snow now comes in and you don't have isolated environments. You have one environment stadium, but you have two cars. And then uh, there is no way to just play your own siloed little part of the game because snow car, as we've seen with the most recent campaign, it's in quite a lot of the maps and there'll be a mix of stadium and snow and then future rally and maybe desert car and, what we're gaining by having a bit more variety, we're losing in terms of uh, how easy it is to not just like get into the game and have fun, but also like parity of input devices at a high level, which I personally see as a strength of the game. Whereas other people say like racing games, you know, you can't play a racing game with keyboard. I actually think it's quite uh, a strong point that you can with Trackmania or used to be able to. Yeah, and that's uh, it's a shame it's going. You mentioned the mixed environments. The amount of runs I've had in the campaign where I'll have an action key set up for snow car and I'll forget to toggle it off when I get the uh, the regular car, I guess stadium car back, and I'll just like absolutely understeer into a wall, and there's just like the the pit of rage that forms from within. Uh, it drives me absolutely crazy. I can only imagine. Yeah, if if this continues uh, in campaigns, I, I think uh, I might go insane. Um, but enough on input devices. Uh, that was a very nice chat. But uh, what is your favorite Trackmania map in history? Ooh, good question. Um, I was just telling you before we went on that 
I'd forgotten some of the questions in the middle. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm having this as if it was fresh, but I think yep. I do have an answer for you. Uh, so a bit of background. Um, people will, uh, listeners who kind of follow the game at the moment will remember there was a 24 hour race, um, in December, I think, uh, last year. Um, and it's not the first time a 24 hour race has been held. There's plenty of editions in the past. And I played a couple of them when they were hosted by, uh, an organizer called DDE, I believe. Um, and the, the maps were kind of similar to the map that we had last year and that they were long kind of four to five minutes mix of styles. Um, and they were great maps. I think link, I believe did the most recent 24 hour race map and it looked like link did a great job on that. And back in the day, the maps are amazing as well. And, uh, yeah, I just have really good memories of playing that event. Uh, so I'm not going to, I can't remember exactly like which of the two that I played, which map I prefer, but if I can just like give both and say that that type of map, uh, not just because, um, to create a four to five minute map that's engaging is really hard. So any map like that should be celebrated, but I really enjoyed my experience playing those events and they stick in my head for that reason. So what would you say? I'm always fascinated by the, um, uh, like the, the formula league and then the endurance 24 hour event map style. Um, cause I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not good enough to really understand them from a competitive level, but what is it that makes them compelling maps without, cause I imagine there's the possibility that they're sort of over complex and they become quite difficult to play for a long period of time because they're sort of too stimulating and there's too much that can go wrong. Is there a balance there or do you just have to learn it? And if you don't learn it, you're in the wall and you've got four minutes to think about your mistake until you get to that corner again. Uh, no, it is like that. If you're going for like a, a top time, let's say you're going for like a PB, which has no bearing on the results. Ultimately, it's more of an ego thing, but it's also like a morale booster, right? If you're getting PBs like every 20 minutes, then you think like, yeah, I'm great at this map. Like, I feel good. And if you're doing an endurance race like that and you're miserable, well, I think you're missing the point. So <laughs> yeah, personally, uh, yeah, I, I like to go for those PBs to kind of hype myself up and hype the team up and uh, that sort of thing. And there's an ego element, of course there is. And it's, it's competitive track mania. Ego does come into it a bit. Um, but what makes a good map? You know, I, I guess the same things that make all comp maps good in that somewhat somewhat accessible okay there are examples where it's not the case world tour maps beacon world league <laughs> shout out beacon world league it was great to watch just uh um yeah at the time of recording i'm not sure we're in the middle yeah we're in the, in the middle, middle of week yeah. one and two not sure when this will come out but we're in the middle of, of weeks one or two and that was great those maps are pretty difficult but um let's say for a map of that length easy sort of to pick up but hard to master and that you can gain mm. time in a lot of the corners but there's a safe option um and just a variety of like different ideas like uh, a map of that length let's say five minutes 45 seconds to like one minute and a half could be tech turns but they're varied enough so that you never feel like you're driving the same uh, uh turn more than once right yeah um and a really well-crafted map will basically make every turn seem fresh to the point that you played the map for three hours and you're still finding like little new ways of driving the track. Um, and that's, I think really hard to do. And I respect anyone who can make a map like that. 
yeah the the sort of the great track mania uh mapping point to me that i find really interesting is that there is an expectation in in uh, competitive maps or any map in general because you know track mania is an inherently competitive game um but for all the corners to make sense and to be able to flow nicely and you know the drifts to work and whatnot which i find very interesting compared to traditional motorsports where you just you know this is the corner you'll turn up and you'll deal with it like you know we don't care if you have to break too much um so in in those uh longer form maps so they tend to flow very very nicely once you're sort of wired in and uh, are they are they quite satisfying yeah for sure there's no identities no awkward bits particularly for the most part um nothing necessarily like to catch you out because uh you know let's say the people who drive first right if there's some really confusing sections or like really weird parts um if you are doing it like sight reading it discovering it and you don't really get it you could be a huge disadvantage which is like impossible to make up for the rest of the time yeah if your first lap you know you go 20 cps behind and then on average pace you get one cp back every five laps like you know <laughs> you, you want to avoid that situation i guess although you know it's all subjective right that's just my opinion on it uh, yeah no that's that's uh that's really interesting and um yeah, I hope to uh, at some point either do production or, or be involved some way in, a, in an endurance race or the Formula League stuff. Feel free to hit me up uh, because I just want to see more of that, uh, the, particularly from behind the scenes. I find that to be one of the most fascinating parts about working track mania events is, you know, seeing what happens behind the scenes on those. So uh, that'd be very compelling. Um, but we'll uh, we'll keep this train moving. Um, don't want to miss any CPs as such. Uh, <laughs> question four then: uh, If you were to take part in a Trap Mania Pro Am, which celebrity would you want on your team? Ooh, good question. Another one of the questions that I <laughs> <laughs> find myself a little bit unprepared for. But I know celebrities. Um, wait, I am. I'm, You're the pro. I'm the you pro, are the right? pro. I am yeah. the pro. Okay. Cool. Leo, I know you listen to all these episodes, <laughs> so you can't be hitting me with the easy uh, cop out questions. Right, 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 right. Uh, just, just stalling for time. Um, so I, I'm not going to try hard this. I'm going to go with someone that I just think would be fun to go with. Um, but here's the thing: a lot of people like, let's say, we go with comedians. Yeah. A lot of comedians that I would find it fun to chat with are kind of just boomers <laughs> like for example lee mack for anyone who yeah. knows that british comedian mm-hmm. he can not make going out absolutely anything funny but on the other mm-hmm. hand i'm not sure if he'd hold the control of the right way up <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it might stall the broadcast <laughs> yeah exactly it might have a few take pauses um <laughs> for that uh okay so if we're going for comedians um Bo Burnham's pretty young, isn't he? He's, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, now he's turning 30. Uh, so I imagine he's probably, what, 32, 33 at this point. Um, yeah, no, I think he'd be interesting. He'd be very, it would get very meta very far. I feel like he would turn up far too prepared, but then do it bad as a bit would be my take on, on <laughs> Bo Burnham. Yeah, it could be. Oh, God, who, who else would be good, I wonder? Um comedians uh, I don't know I'm just I saw what's his name um, the person who does uh, the uh, countdown like celebrity countdown 
uh, it's got a funny laugh. <laughs> British guy. David Mitchell. Uh, no, that the host. Oh, the host, uh, Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr, yeah. I saw him yeah. on a podcast recently and uh, I thought he was a bit of a waffler, so not him. <laughs> but David Mitchell is a great shout. I think yeah. I think he'd be able to pick up, even if he's not really a gamer, I think he'd be able to pick it up. And uh, for someone who will be amateur, the, the amount of self-deprecating jokes that would just make me burst, burst, burst out laughing, basically, would basically make it for me. So... Yeah, David Mitchell, we're going with David Mitchell. And uh, we're probably in the sort of degrees of separation from David Mitchell. The podcast is probably closer than any other guest because we've got Sabre, who is a poker pro, and David Mitchell's wife is a poker pro. Oh, and I'm sure they've probably been in the same room. So we're sort of uh, a couple, couple degrees separation there. Maybe we can uh, get David on the phone. So uh, we can make it happen. We... <laughs> All I'm saying is, like, it's probably the most realistic of all of them so far. Uh, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. This pro am, it, it's growing legs. It's a very, there's a lot of people involved now. I'm starting to, I'm starting to be concerned about the scheduling. Uh, <laughs> but uh, question five, then the question that I know you've been dreading because you were talking to me about it earlier. Uh, what is your hottest track mania take? Yes. Um... Uh, I uh, I know a lot of people don't want to upset anyone with this, like when they say something, and I also don't want to. But that said, I don't think I have anything too controversial to say. Um, I mean, I already talked about my opinions on snow car kind of infecting the nice competitive stadium environment. Um, mm -hmm. New update, uh, and it's been talked to death. So I'm not gonna not gonna add like fan the flames necessarily. Um, I guess this is more of a, a point that could apply to esports in general. And I'm not sure if it's a hot take because people do talk about this. But I think a lot of people expect a lot from esports competitive play. Like they expect a lot to be there and for money mm -hmm. to be there, but aren't really, they expect to have all that without putting much in themselves. And I think of like a, like amateur level sports, let's say, or like, yep. you know, kids league sports, like, uh, you know, you, your kid to play football matches or, you know, you do Sunday league in, in the UK or whatever. Um, you know, a lot of the times these things don't happen for free. Maybe there's some funding if it's like kids sport, because it's some initiative like to get kids active and stuff. But, you know, if you play football at an amateur level Sunday league, like, you pay for the ref's time, you pay for entry to the league, and you basically do that because you know it's worth the enjoyment you get out from it. Um, you understand that things don't just magically come out of thin air. The ref isn't just going to be there regardless of whether or not he's paid and whether or not there's football on. Like These things happen because uh, people are willing to contribute to a shared experience that they enjoy. And I feel that I understand that in esports, a lot of why this doesn't happen is that there isn't really a history of like, you know, with amateur football, you know, like, uh, or like, you know, kids league football, like parents enjoy it. So they want their kids to enjoy it as well. And maybe they fund it through that. A lot of people who do esports, like their parents aren't really that supportive or like they never had the opportunity, don't really know what it is. And so then. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a general, it's a first generation esports thing, right? We're, we're sort of in that almost in that second generation of esports professionals, but it's still very new. Yeah. So you have kids who 
probably don't have a load of money to put in basically doing this thing kind of breaking new ground and then they're sort of relying on really sort of passionate individuals like we have a load of in the truck mania community which is part of why you know the community and the offering competitive offering for people is so strong is because there's so many amazing talented passionate people who put their time and money into creating great events for people we're really lucky to have that in truck mania um but also i think people sometimes lose track of the fact that uh you know, esports is unlike, I'd say, traditional sports in that people expect a lot for free and don't necessarily appreciate how much time and effort and money is required to make something happen. Um, and I would say my hot take is something along the lines of people need to change their view of what esports is and how it actually comes to be and maybe get into the mindset that to make it happen, maybe they need to contribute something. So this doesn't mean, you know, Every player who goes to an event has to do an entry fee, even if it's online. I'm not saying it's like anything extreme uh, like that, but if you just expect stuff to always be there and to be able to just rock up and like play and and then I don't know, not do anything else necessarily, and just like complain about things because you just you know taking it for granted, I say, then I think you should change the way you look at these things and maybe understand the reality of the situation a bit more. Yeah, that's uh, you're definitely the first person to have that opinion, or at least express that opinion uh, on the show. But I think coming from a background of playing lots of sports when I grew up, uh, when I was growing up, and even still, you know, doing occasional things, um, that like you mentioned there is an onboarding cost. There's an ongoing cost as well to all of those things, uh, and even sort of tangentially, if you look at things like Magic the Gathering um, or Hearthstone when it was. Uh, <laughs> relevant um there's a lot of cost involved in playing in those you know any event you play you enter uh you do have to pay uh, an entry fee and, and those can be really quite expensive um i think obviously with esports the difficulty is you are in your room it it feels very bad to pay for something when for the most part you're competing in in your bedroom or your uh, office or whatnot um but i i would be really interested to explore that further and have you know, an esports tournament or a series of esports tournament where you have to pay, or uh, I, I almost look at what Fortnite does with its creator code. So you know, like you can put a creator in there, and all your purchases are um, a percentage of that goes to the creator. And wonder, like, would you know, if we had an in-game uh, microtransaction store in Trapmania where maybe Beacon can upload uh, their car skin and they can upload. Um, the maps that, or special versions of the maps that you can buy or play on or whatnot. And then like a percentage of that revenue goes directly to the tournament, almost like the um, the international and how they do, uh, or did the, was it the the compendium or whatever uh, went with that. Um, but it's sort of a, a tale of as old of time in esports where, you know, fans sure as hell don't want to pay for anything. So the players definitely aren't as well. Uh, so... You know, if you think about how much content, particularly Trap Mania content, you get for free, uh, well, just you know, ad revenue that from the stream. Uh, but you know that you get so much content for free in 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 this industry that yeah, I can imagine the uproar that would happen if all of a sudden you had you know uh, some you know BIPL now with a ten pound entry fee uh, that might be uh, that might not go down well. Yeah, it's it's a very complicated and interesting uh, issue, I guess. Uh, it's lots of ways of 
spinning it, splitting it. Um, but I just think, you know, as this generation of gamers or esports people like go older and, you know, a lot of them, I guess, will end up having kids because that's like a relatively normal thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I'm saying it like this. You know what I mean? Like the next generation, yeah, yeah. their children, like if they want to get into competitive esports and like they're really into a game uh, and there's a bit more infrastructure, I feel like a lot of the parents then who used to do it themselves might be willing to contribute in some way, at the very least like supporting the kid's choice because they know that it's like hmm. a good thing to do, but also... I don't know, contributing monetarily or something else. Um, it's an interesting sort of thought experiment. Um, and yeah, fans never, like the precedent's been set that to watch something, it will always be free, which you obviously don't get in regular sports. Like a lot of sports is quite expensive to watch, especially if you're in the yeah. UK, like hashtag F1 and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm not saying, you know, paywalling content, in expensive ways is the right way to go. And, you know, it's online. So you're competing on Twitch with all the other online entertainment, like for people's attention. Um, so like when there's a lot of stuff that's available for free, like getting people invested enough to pay, I guess is a challenge in itself. Um, it's definitely not an easy thing to like transition to a more sustainable ecosystem. But I think, yeah, some sort of like community funding or, you know, people pulling together and not just expecting everything for free, like trying to do their part, like some variation of that in the future has legs, but I'm not sure exactly what it will look like. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned Twitch, like uh, most esports events are not only competing against each other, but also just competing against random streamers um, streaming in that category. Uh, I think think back to last weekend when we had the opening uh, week beacon, we were just up against streamers that just have bigger audiences than than we could ever have hoped to have captured, um, and it feels really bizarre. You know, we're putting on all this show, and there's a prize pool and whatnot, and then you know, uh, a thousand or so people are watching someone just grind the campaign. Um, but that's sort of what you're up against. I think esports is inherently less compelling than an influencer doing a thing. Um, so it's yeah, covering covering for that and, and trying to get the crowd there. Uh, I, I do want to go on to our final question, our extra question unique to each guest. Um, we were talking earlier about your LAN experience. Uh, and I just want to know what was it about competing in Trackmania lands that most surprised you uh, from what you were expecting? Most surprised me. Interesting question let me just reach far into my brain transport my old brain 10 years yeah. or so yeah mm -hmm. uh i don't i mean everything was really new at ESWC mm -hmm. 2014 because it was my first lan um and it was my first time meeting i think anyone from trapmania in real life and there was a load of people because it was like 32 players some of them had, I'm not going to say entourage, but like their friends came as well. <laughs> the I mean, homies. It was the odd manager and thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Spam and Carl Jr. had 50 people each. And that is, <laughs> for the record, that is a joke. <laughs> no, that will be the true. title. Literally not true. Um, but you know, there's like a lot of people and I was, how old was I back then? Uh, 19, 18, 19. So like um, age, age leak. Um you know, as a, a young nerdy person, it was quite intimidating to have to meet all these people and uh, I guess just like have that much socializing in a few mm -hmm. days. That was a lot. 
Um, some things were, I guess, difficult. This didn't surprise me, but it was hard to overcome was that back then on land, cars were forced on in the game. So like, you could not hide other people's ghosts. What? Yeah, I I think it was something that had been done originally in like the first ever Trackmania land events for whatever reason. And then it just stuck. So you could play everything with cars off, HUD off everything. But on LAN, you'd have to have the cars on, which took some getting used to, like for sure. Um, certain cams have advantages over others as well. And that I think cam one is pretty good because you have the widest view. If you're cam three and you're like behind, behind someone, someone. <laughs> it does hide them if they're too close, or at least it did in those versions of the games. But still, like, you know, it's pretty distracting, right? If you can see other people's ghosts and just can't turn them off. So that took some getting used to. Um, did you really not know that about lands back in the day? I, that, is, that is new information. When did that end? Because I mean, I'm assuming Wizzy or Epos would have told me if they had to play cans on at the, uh, the World Championship. I think that baggage was left after the new game came out. Yeah, so <laughs> thankfully, I, I'm a proponent for that change. It's a, a good change in my view. Um, what surprised me? Uh, in a way... I think I'll probably leave it with this, which is the opposite of surprise. What didn't surprise me was that loads of people were super cool. Um, pretty much everyone I met, in fact, was like really amazing to sort of chat to and be around the community offline, even better than the community online. For Trackmania, that says a lot because the vast majority of people are like super welcoming and nice and we have a quite tight-knit community. It was even more tight-knit back then, I think, because the game was a bit smaller um so yeah in that sense that was everything i expected and hence i've dodged the question done an uno reverse and said what didn't surprise me <laughs> well what surprised you was that that didn't surprise you you know what i mean like you can almost the lack of surprise there maybe it was a bit surprising whoa now now we're getting into it yeah now we're thinking <laughs> of balls yeah so what was that you know let's just you know let's stay on that for a little bit um you know, obviously, you, you've you've met with these people online. I imagine if it was a TeamSpeak era, or yeah. Ventrilo, or any of those Skype. Uh, Skype. Oh gosh, Skype throwback. Um, what was that transition then? Obviously, some of these people would have already known each other, uh, quite a few. You know, with with the like competitors, but you know, was there a camaraderie there from the players, or was there sort of a healthy relationship of you know we're competing, but you know we're still respectful and we get on well? It, it went something like this. I arrived at the land center. Um, I don't know. I wasn't the first one there in the morning. So some people had already set up and yeah, like people who knew each other or on the same team, they kind of sectioned off their own places and they were, you know, in their like all the team Dignitas people, for example, were mm. in kind of one section. There's a team called Penta as well, who, uh, Scrappy was playing for. That's where I met Scrappy actually, uh, back in the day. Um, so they had a few players who were together, for example, and my, I was on a team called BX3 and a teammate of mine, Zinnick, uh, from Norway was there. So we sat near each other, I believe, um, or I can't quite recall, but so you, there were these sort of lines, I guess, but that was pretty much only while people were playing after that, you know, I would chat to the Brits who were there, um, Sabre and Jono, and then, you know, after the day it ended, like everyone just kind of like went out to grab some food and people just took, like everyone could just have a conversation with anyone else. Um, 
and that was really nice. So I gained probably like 20 or 30 new friends after that. Um, and some of whom I met like afterwards at other events and other times just like I went interrailing after I finished um, uni undergrad. So like traveling by train around Europe for a month. And on that trip, I met, you know, someone who I'd met at that LAN event for the first time. So kind of crazy how the transition from online friend to real life friend was so smooth and everyone was so open and the that sort of solidified already good online friendships to the point where they felt like you know they'd been your mate at school you'd known for years in a way yeah um, that was really nice yeah that's really good the the, uh, the true power of esports uh i think with the the most recent world championship well, my favorite content to come out of it was just the random almost like found footage of uh epos wizzy and um stuffs just in random places with with luggage that like et granadi tweeting or something like that and i always found that really funny uh just this uh you know this very large world of of track mini esports at times and then you know the best players were all just having fun taking photos of each other having a laugh and a joke so uh yeah hopefully again uh the elephant in the room while we don't know what's going on much this year uh hopefully that will uh will be something that sticks around for a while and um yeah more more land events the better i think for sure well, uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Leo. Uh, before we wrap it all up, is there anything uh, you'd like to let the people at home know? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. Um, and I just urge people to watch episodes if they haven't caught up, like the ones they've missed, because I really enjoy listening to this podcast. So uh, if there's people who haven't caught up on everything, I would say do that. But otherwise, if you made it this far, then... Um, yeah, hey mum, I promise I'll come home soon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that, I think. Thanks for listening to Keeping Track. To listen to the other episodes of the show, you can visit our Substack at www.nodal.media or you can search for the show on your preferred podcast apps. You can find the show on Twitter at Nodal Media and even follow me at A. Thomas Davis. I'm also on threads at thomasdavis.jpg. Currently in the middle of the Beacon World League. I've been doing content and production for that, so I advise you check them out and uh, tune into there. But uh, other than that, thanks all for listening and see you next time. <laughs>